Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and today we are talking front office and coaching candidates, lottery odds, Christian Wood, and so much more. We've even got a bit of breaking news from Mark Stein. We'll get to that in a second. First up, we've got our host, or I guess I'm our host. I, we, I should say <laughs> that's going well, you guys. I am clearly out of practice. We do have our editor-in-chief and master and commander of thebirdrights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's going on, man? Hey, Preston, I just looked it up. This is, we haven't done a pod since March 11th. Woo! All right, three weeks. That, that might be- I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Our record. Uh, exactly. in, so, in and out. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so happy that we're finally doing it, though. Even though all of us are busy as hell, and there's things going on in our personal lives, as we all just talked about. But we're not going to bore the listeners with any of those details. <laughs> No, they don't care. Uh, but we will be a bit more regular after April 14th. I promise you guys that. Next, we've got radio host and contributor to both Crescent City Sports and thebirdrights.com, Mr. David Grubb. What's up, dude? I'm trying to conquer all media. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> One step at a time, big guy. I know. That's a goal. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Uh, we we knew you when. I remember when it was just Ollie and Kevin and I starting on this lowly podcast. I think you joined up pretty soon, but we'll be able to say we knew him when. Um, I'm oh. never leaving you guys. <laughs> Finally, uh, in Kevin's place momentarily, we'll have his co-author to this week's biggest story, breaking down the Pelicans' 14 most likely head coaching candidates, Mr. Chris Connor. But let's hold off on that for a second. I think he's joining us in about 10 minutes. Let's start with basketball. Uh, the latest on the regular season action, Ollie. The Pelicans have lost 12 of the past 15 games. Games. They have the NBA's second worst net rating during that time. They are really tanking hard. Most Pelicans fans are probably embracing it by this point. But do you think this level of ineptitude progresses development of young players, or do you think it can possi- possibly negatively affect them long term? I think it could if it was over the span of a year, or if you're a, a you know a franchise that's constantly dealing with, you know, stuck in a rebuild, like the Philadelphia 76ers were, which I know that Julio Okafor was never a fan of, Nerlens Noel. There's been Sixers that have spoken out about being in that environment. But again, with the Pelicans, you know, they had clear playoff aspirations at the start of the year. Didn't go so well, but really it's only been this kind of level of ineptitude in play, this non-competitive basketball, honestly, for about three weeks. 
So no, Preston, not at all. I don't have any problem or any fear of, you know, players developing bad habits, them basically quitting, not working. Everything I see in practices and games, talking to coaches, assistants, everything's fine. It's just that, you know, it's been a long season, disappointment. They're just trying to get to the finish line. But you know what? The players are still playing, especially the young guys, the ones that are still standing, like Christian Wood, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, we'll get to Christian Wood in a second. Let's hold off on that because obviously that's going to be a big topic of conversation. Grub, uh, both Jaleel Okafor and Czech Diallo, among others, their numbers have dipped with Drew Holiday out of the lineup. Uh, Diallo, for example, something I just looked up quickly, in February shot 74% from the field over the course of 11 games compared to just over 50% in March. Let's continue on this line of thinking. How important is it to you that these guys continue playing competitive basketball or do you just not care and like Ali said, uh, you know, just kind of give these young guys some reign of the floor and let them make some mistakes? Yeah, I, th- I think you have to let them play through this. Um, Jaleel's downturn really coincided with his ankle injury. And for a guy who relies on his balance in the post, I think it took him some time. I, I, he started to show some ability against the Lakers again. He was finishing around the rim. He showed his touch that hasn't left him. But he's still not moving as well as he did in that stretch where he was putting up double-doubles kind of consistently. Um, you know, his rebounding numbers have gone real down uh, – you know, really down. And I think a lot of that just has to stem from his, his inner injury. I think check is hurt more by not having effective guard play than anybody else. So when you look on the bench and you see drew and you see Etwan and you see Darius Miller now sitting down for stretches and stuff. And, and, and of course, Anthony's only playing 20 minutes. It has changed so much of the flow for these guys, they're constantly changing lineups over these last three weeks as well. So there's no continuity on the floor. And that affects young players more than anybody else. They need structure because they're trying to find their way within it. And I think that's part of Kenrich Williams' issue, too, because his numbers have regressed. It's not his effort. It's not his understanding. But I think he's fighting to figure out his role. When do I shoot? When do I drive? Who do I kick to? Because there are not a ton of options on the perimeter for him to go to. So I think everybody is kind of just in a, in a weird place. But like Ollie said, the effort has been there. They've been competing, but they're just at a disadvantage every night when you put out their starting five because they don't have really a legitimate NBA starter outside of Julius Randle on the floor. All right. You just labeled him as a legitimate starter. This is a, a, another polarizing topic, how much to give Julius Randle this uh, offseason. But let's go ahead. We'll, we'll circle back to that a bit later. Let's go ahead, Ali, and talk about Christian Wood. 15 points, 11 rebounds against the Lakers. He's averaging somewhere around 18 and 8 in his four games. However, against the Sacramento Kings and Atlanta Hawks, he scored 48 combined points in those two contests. Talk about what you've seen from Christian Wood, and can he be an eight-man level rotation player for the Pelicans going forward? He has shown a lot, and we've been talking about him to Alvin Gentry ever since he's gotten here. And even today, he was brought up again, and I asked Coach, have you ever seen a player come in really unheralded in the middle of the season and make this kind of impact? He says no. He says that P.J. Tucker uh, kind of did that for him, but again, he did it without the numbers, without that flash, where he kind of basically was his presence that he brought. But no, he's a fan of Christian Wood, as we all are, and we should be. Because this kid has shown that he can play, and he, he does several things really well that lead you to believe that, yeah, maybe he's playing at a level that he's not going to stay at. Even Alvin joked that, hey, he's not going to be a 24-point-per-game scorer in his career. But, again, he does a lot of things that you want to see out of a big man. He runs the floor well. He rebounds. He brings tenacity. 
He protects the rim. And uh, if he can, you know, continue to develop his offensive skills, and I think Alvin was pointing towards that dribble or uh, driving um, from the perimeter or anywhere outside of the paint, utilizing that dribble to get into the lane and either making a play for himself and others, and, of course, being able to shoot that outside jumper. So if he can hone those two things, then he's definitely got a nice career ahead of him. But even if he doesn't, he's still got, like you said, Preston, he can probably fit in a lot of teams' top eight, top nine uh, rotations. Uh, let's continue on Christian Wood, and then I've got a, a question about the overall depth of the Pelicans. David, we've seen uh, some pretty impressive stat lines over the course of the past four games, and we obviously know what Christian Wood thinks of himself based on his most recent tweets. What do you think about Christian Wood, and what do you see as his ceiling? Um, I think he's, you know, again, he's, he's the kind of athlete that you need in this NBA. He can cover a lot of range. Uh, like Ali said, he's got a, he's got a good jump shot. Uh, he's athletic. He can get up above the, above the rim. And that's something that they were missing in Anthony's diminished minutes. You don't have explosive guys in that front court. Julius isn't an explosive guy. Ja's not explosive. Um, you know, and of course, Czech struggles with his athleticism at times. So when you have a guy who is on his own, just even without counting his basketball skills, just an elite athlete, and you can see that out of Christian, that he has you know, great jumping ability, he can protect the rim, and that's something that the Pelicans don't have when Anthony Davis is off the floor. Um, so when you, when you look at those things, he brings a dimension that the Pelicans had not had in this group, um, in the second group on the front court. And then when you look at what next year could be, let's say Julius does not return. And you know Anthony's not coming back. Um, and if your rotation becomes Jaleel stays because of his deal, Christian's deal is so good at $1.6 million, you have a front court rotation. And even if Chet doesn't come back, and I think that that's fine too, but if, you, if your, rota- your backup bigs become Christian Wood and Jaleel Okafor, you have two guys who can change the looks for you at certain times and guys who can score in very different ways. I don't think you have to run plays <laughs> For Christian, um, but if you do, he's shown the ability to convert them. So I think you know this is a great opportunity for him. It's a late season find, and I think Milwaukee is regretting losing him. Uh, but you know sometimes you have to let good players go for the purposes of your team, and it's the Pelicans' good fortune to have him. I think he could be. Yeah, I don't know if he's a, a starter. I don't know if he's a sixth man. But right now, you have to be encouraged by what he does bring because you didn't have that on the roster before he got there. Definitely. And I know the Milwaukee Bucks wish that they still had him. With that being said, I know Ollie was watching the other night when Tim Frazier played 53 minutes for the Milwaukee Bucks. So although Christian Wood is the better long-term prospect, it certainly seems like they need Tim Frazier in the absence of Malcolm Brogdon right now. Uh, so you understand the move on their part. It's not quite the Mike Muscala, uh, um, Zuvats trade, uh, we should say. Let's go. Let's go ahead and continue with this line of thinking, unless unless you wanted to add on to that, Ali. No, no. Okay, let's get to spot rack right now, or basketball insiders, as Eric Pincus would always like me to draw to. Next season, the Pelicans have, on paper, $92 million guaranteed. However, about 10 of that is to Julius Randle, and 26 of that is to Anthony Davis, who's going to be long gone. After that, you've got $26.7 million to Drew Holiday. And then you've got a lot of very manageable contracts outside of Etuan Moore and Solomon Hill. You've got $1.6 million of Frank Jackson, $1.4 million of Darius Bertans, no telling if he'll be on the roster or not. You've got $1.4 million of Kenrich Williams, $1.65 million of Christian Wood, and $1.7 million of Jaleel Okafor. 
Ali, the Pelicans finally have some depth on very minimum to lower term deals. How do you feel about the bench positioning going forward? Oh, I love it. I mean, all these guys, first of all, they're building a core group that's going to try as hard as they can, as we've learned, bringing it competitively. Bar none might be the biggest thing in the NBA. You know, we've seen teams compiled here in New Orleans that produce numbers. Uh, even going back to the days when Ryan Anderson, Tyreek Evans, Eric Gordon were all on the court together, they didn't produce a lot of wins uh, often. And we saw it again this year at the start of the year. All that firepower. Um, and again, I'm talking pretty much strictly about the starting line. But again, Pelicans were losing a lot of those 130, 120 games. And, you know, it, that just wasn't happening. But you need more. And the Pelicans kind of have that in these guys that not only try high hard, but also seem to be at least adequate defenders. And that's especially Kenrich Williams. And um, who else am I forgetting there? And, uh, well, not Julio Okafor. I, I forget. There, there was another guy that was on my mind. But anyways, Falcons do have the semblance of a bench that is cheap, that they don't have to overpay and fill in like we have in previous years. And I think that's huge. When you're going out trying to find shooting and you're attaching Ian Clark, uh, you name it, and they don't produce. And that was kind of the biggest downfall at the start of the year. When you had Darius Miller miss a few games and uh, a few other players, not including the big guns, of course, like um, Anthony, Nicole, and Julius, there was nobody behind them to step up and carry the load. You've got to be able to either score or defend, do something. And the Pelicans didn't have any of that. That was the days when Czech Diallo still wasn't playing well. Coaching staff didn't have that faith in uh, Julie Okafor. But again, we saw the negativity, the negatives of all that kind of uh, environment. And thankfully, now that all these young guys are getting all these minutes to close out this season, theoretically, it should bode well for next year, Preston. You're absolutely right. Let's just hope that they can fill in the rest of the team. Because as we've seen, even though these guys try hard and they put up a competitive fight, you're going to need more than, say, Kenrich Williams playing 30 minutes a game. Same thing with Christian Wood and Julio Okafor. But again, you're just talking about the end of the bench. So yeah, it's a good thing to be positive about and to look forward to. Yeah, something good to build upon for the incoming general manager. And that leads me to our next topic of conversation, David. This is from mm -hmm. Mark Stein, something that you pointed out. He said, league sources say Tommy Shepard, now acting GM of the Wizards as they open a search for Grunfeld's replacement, is also a candidate for the New Orleans GM job alongside Golden State's Larry Harris, Brooklyn's Trajan Langdon, Houston's Gerson Rosas, and the Pelicans' Danny Ferry. Now, this is interesting, David, because none of us had Tommy Shepard on our radar right now, and he's just immediately been placed in Ernie Grunfeld's place, um, and you would think he'd be the suitable replacement going forward if they do stay in-house. Obviously, they'd probably want to shop some of these candidates, but the, the most interesting thing that I want to get to, David, is the Pelicans' job has to be so much more appealing than the Washington Wizards' job at this point. These are some high-profile names. Uh, let's let's get Tommy Shepard out of the way. What do you think of Tommy Shepard's track record going forward? And do you think he is a viable candidate placed next to these other four? I think I would put Shepard last on that list. Um, you know, I think his time, you know, he's been in league with, of like a quarter century at this point, and most of the time has been spent in Washington. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of that culture that the, the Wizards have had in that time. I haven't seen the player development. I haven't seen the fiscal responsibility. Um, so I'm very leery of somebody coming out of that organization. How has he advised Ernie Grunfeld when we've seen a number of bad decisions come out of that organization? So what is his influence been? What is, what is his track record of success? And I don't think from that organization, you see a lot of that. I mean, he's been in charge of um, the salary cap 
um, and the Wizards have consistently been bad spenders. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think of the five names on that list, he would be my fifth. All right, Ali, go ahead and jump on in on this. Grub just sent me a link about Tommy Shepard to get some more information. Obviously, he's the senior vice president of basketball operations serving under then-president Ernie Grunfeld. But uh, continue on in this. Obviously, the 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 big most concerning move in Washington Wizards recent history was the Supermax signed by John Wall, who now is sidelined indefinitely. Uh, however, they do have a young core, Bradley Beal around there, among others. What do you think about the work that Tommy Shepard has done? Do you do you see him as a viable replacement over some of these other guys? No, and I just want to get this out of the way real quickly. I feel like this is a play by whoever his agent is or whoever likes Tommy Shepard and may, basically wants him maybe to uh, go ahead and become the permanent general manager of the Washington Wizards, kind of putting this out there just to maybe force the Wizards' hand to, hey, maybe we need to sign this guy if he's drawing other interests around the league. Because as we've seen, that that's how how kind of this game is played in league, whether it's with players, with free agents, or with uh, kind of the hotter names among general managers and coaches. You know, if you have more than one suitor, you kind of want to put that out there. And then you want to be able then, uh, or then the whoever's most interested party has to be able to jump on them. So I just feel like that might be a play here because this is the first time Tommy Shepard's name has even come up. Um, you have to think if this guy was really interested in the Pelicans job, a while ago, his name probably would have come available sooner because the Wizards have had nothing to play for. Del Demps got fired well, well at the start of almost February. So I, I'm just not seeing this. I, I just see this more as smoke. But even if he is a candidate, let's just, you know, we should presume he is. David's already laid out a lot of, lot of you know, the reasons that I kind of don't like him either. I mean, he has been responsible for a lot in his uh, job titles. One salary, Italian evaluation. And when you just look down the list at, at what they've done, I mean, they traded for Trevor Ariza uh, during this season after John Wall goes down. And you look at their draft history, they didn't even have any picks in 16 or 17. Uh, 18's maybe looking like a bust. Tony Brown really hasn't shown any. 2015, the biggest name was Jerry and Grant. I mean, there's not much to like here. They've landed a couple good picks over the years, Wall, Beal, and Porter, but they were all top three, I think, picks. So there's nothing else there. As David's mentioned, the culture has been bad. And this guy's been there for 16 years. Um, so, no, I, I don't see any reason why uh, Gail Benson needs to be sniffing under his rock. And if, if I just can, to wrap that up, you know, look at his background. The thing that we've stressed and what you want out of the next uh, general manager or president of basketball, however they give the title, is that we wanted somebody with extensive top-to-bottom experience, somebody who understood how to build a franchise um, and sustain it. This guy is a public relations guy. And I don't say that to demean him, but that's just the fact. And I don't know if you put somebody who's been, who, who's half of his resume talks about what he's done in PR and very few successes in basketball on the basketball side. I mean, that's just a red flag to me. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to our next line of questioning. He is not going to be our long-term replacement for Dell Demps and Danny Ferry. So let's get to who is. Obviously, the popular name right now is Trajan Langdon. David, do you think it's his job to lose at this point? I think it is. You know, he fits the bill. He covers all, all the bases as far as, um, you know, having that experience in an organization that was able to rebuild on the fly with not a lot of resources at the time, that was over the cap, had no picks. And he, he's part of that. He helped get them there. He's, he was the G League executive of the year this year. So he's, he's been uh, responsible for player development. He's a guy who's played in the league. 
um, so he can relate and understand how players um, think and react to the to things that go on. Um, I think he's also young enough um, to be somebody who can uh, be a good conduit with the locker room and with the community. And, and then on top of that, I'm sure what he brings, uh, you know, as far as just some freshness, he doesn't have a stench of failure anywhere on him. Um, and that's really important. He's a shiny and new toy that if you bring him in, I think there's Im- immediate excitement about that name. All right. Ali, do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Trajan Langdon is the guy. Um, the only thing I think is I still think that Danny Ferry is going to be given a chance to uh, go on this role, but I don't think it would be for anything long-term. So, I mean, my ideal situation is you want a president of basketball operations and a general manager anyways, so why not hire the both of those names? I said that immediately after Dell Demps got fired. You kind of want to see some continuity because I think it's huge, guys. You're going to have Anthony. Davis, the trade on the block this summer. And for a fresh guy coming in, let's forget about even just the pressure. It's just knowing what to do, when to bite, you know, basically having this understanding in the league on, on how other GMs operate, what you should get for um, maximum trade value. There's so many things that needs to be need to be considered there. And what's that noise? <laughs> I, I muted him. That's David. Okay. All right. <laughs> it, it sounded yeah, like he was so- spinning a top or something. <laughs> I know either that or uh, well, anyways, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, no. Trajan Langdon does have all the check marks. You know, he's been overseas. He supposedly is the biggest responsible um, guy for bringing in. Was it they drafted Rodian's Kurix, who looks like a really a steal of the, this past draft in the second round. He's uh, a phenomenal guy when it comes to culture because he he had some uh, time spent in the G League and people raved about that. And I believe the Nets players, or excuse me, the Nets analysts call him like the Swiss Army knife, you know, the Brooklyn's office. If you remember reading uh, Chris's piece on Trajan about a month ago. So this guy does check all the marks. But again, I just feel like you almost want, in an ideal world, just have a little more experience because the Pelicans face, you know, this is going to be the summer that changes, you know, their path or maps out their path for the next five years, Preston. You've got to nail this Anthony Davis trade you got to nail these draft picks in the upcoming draft that they're likely going to have at least probably a chance at, what, two or three good names, uh, good good uh, picks in the uh, first round, maybe early second round as well. So it's just so much on a plate to give to a young guy, and I love him to death, but I would just feel a little bit better if he had a little bit more help by his side, whether it's an advisor or somebody like Danny Ferry, just as a POBO for a year or two. Uh, Chris Connors joining us now, but before we get to him and he's going to handle the head coaching aspect of all this, mm. David, uh, would you like to see Michael Zarin and Troy Weaver as a part of this conversation? I really like Troy Weaver. And I think the last time we talked, I, I, I spoke him up. I do like him again because he has those similar experiences as, as Trajan Langdon, except uh, not as a player at the NBA level, but he's coached, um, you know, on multiple levels, uh, you know, and he's, he's been right next to, um, just he's been a part of Oklahoma city this entire time and they've drafted generally well. Um, They've had some years where they didn't have picks through the trades, but again, you know, this is a team that was in salary cap hell too. And they've kind of figured out a way to get themselves kind of out of it. They're not completely out of the woods, but again, they've been able to add talent and um, stay um, competitive, if not improve since the last season. Uh, And they, so I I think that he has again, a lot of those, those same skill sets that Langdon has He's obviously not as hot um, as Langdon is. And I think Langdon should be the front runner based on his total resume. Uh, but 
I'm not as high on um he said I'm, I'm, I'm the name is Mike Darren Mike yeah, Darren, Mike Darren just because um I don't know I mean his name has always been out there but again I don't know I mean Ainge is such a big figure in that organization I just don't know how much Zarin has had control of a franchise and then especially on the development side um, the Celtics have not relied on the front office to develop. They've had a coach who's done a, a, a fairly good job of, of doing that in Brad Stevens. Um, but I don't, I don't know if he's the guy for, for that. You know, Boston's mission has been very different over the last decade than what you're looking at for what the Pelicans are going to be trying to do over the next five to 10 years. All right, we're going to talk coaches, but now we've got Chris Connor joining us. And Chris, uh, of course, you can follow him at the Impatient Bull, or just Impatient Bull, excuse me, at DM Grubb is David Grubb's handle, at Ali Cosell is Ali. Chris, first of all, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Uh, well, I just uh, somehow made it out of work without missing the show, but uh, I'm here, man. Hey, we're happy to have you. Uh, as you guys may know, Chris Conner and Kevin Berrios have the biggest article on thebirdrights.com this week, highlighting the 14 head coaching candidates in a unique New Orleans-flavored style. So kudos to you guys. Great piece of work. You guys uh, have been retweeted by a bunch of, uh, I-, I guess, notable people in New Orleans. But before we get to that, Chris, we were just talking about general manager candidates. Mark Stein just threw Tommy Shepard into the mix as the guys being considered by the New Orleans uh, Pelicans front office at this point in time. But let's talk about some of the other guys. Uh, of course, we got Gerson Rosas, got Trajan Langdon. Uh, I brought up Troy Weaver and Mike Zarin. Is there anyone in particular you would like to see the Pelicans hire this offseason? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I've been on this Trajan Langdon bandwagon for about, I don't know, about two, three months now. So uh, I don't I don't see reason to, to get off it at, at uh, any point in time. Uh, I mean, I think that and I, I think when I was coming into the podcast, I, I believe that I heard uh, Ali talking about how um, he would want, if it is Langdon, to have some sort of, you know, uh, maybe be Danny Ferry over top of him as a, you know, as president of basketball operations, just because it's, you know, this is going to be his first gig, and it's a lot to have to, you know, for a, a first-time GM that's going to have to deal with from, you know, getting rid of AD to rebuilding the team, rebuilding the culture, you know, from top to bottom. But yeah, I mean it's absolutely Langdon. I, I in my mind from the from everything that he's done with Brooklyn to his experiences, you know, as a as a player, I mean, uh to some of the disappointing things that you know that he's had he that he he's had to deal with in regards to failing at um a lottery draft pick in the in the NBA not lasting very long, having to pick back things you know, pick things back up and persevere overseas. And then after that, I mean, coming back to the States and kind of starting from the bottom as a, you know, as a scout working his way up. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to relate to almost any type of, you know, basketball individual that's in the room. And I think that that's, that's very important when we're seeing uh, this generation is a lot more about building relationships than it's ever, you know, than it's ever been. And while X's and O's and, you know, schematics and what you can provide as a, you know, in reference to your basketball mind is very important, but you know these these people are gonna want to know that they can they can trust you. You have a vision for them, and um, you know you're gonna be able you're gonna be a guy that that's gonna be able to hold to be accountable for things good and bad that fall in place. He's done a beautiful job over there with Sean Marks and um, just everything that they're building over there in Brooklyn. So um, I'm totally on the the uh, Trajan Langdon bandwagon. 
All right, I've got a follow-up for you, Chris, before we get back to Ali and David Grubb. After hiring Trajan Langdon as possibly the president of basketball operations and the general manager, assuming that Danny doesn't occupy one of those positions, who then do you think becomes the target as the Pelicans' next head coach? I mean, I think I think Chris Fleming is the guy that you probably have to keep your eye on, um, mainly because, you know, he's a he's another guy that, you know, has uh, has looked you know, he's been around a little bit, but he's over there in Brooklyn as an, as an assistant coach. He's an offensive guy, just like Langdon is. And, um, you know, he also has, um, he has some ties to Langdon in, in regards to their days back in, back in, uh, in Moscow, I believe when, uh, Langdon was a player, uh, uh, Fleming took, had some, uh, had some time on their coaching staff. So those two have been kind of known to be around each other for a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I would assume that he would be a guy, anything right now that you touch on that Brooklyn Nets organization. I mean, right now it's just, I mean, the stock is high. And Slim has been around for, I, you know, in the, the piece we did, I believe, over just about 20 years as a basketball coach. And um, I, I would assume that for Landon's first hire, he's going to want to bring in somebody that he has some type of, you know, familiarity with. And when you when you hear and listen to the things that people have said, you know, around the uh, around the basketball landscape in reference to what this guy can do offensively as a coach and some of the things that he's that he's helped Kenny Atkinson with, uh, I mean that that's the first name that pops out. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a bunch of different outside uh, candidates. Uh, the uh, my man's from the San Antonio Spurs, uh, Isor Messina, that was also with Trayson Langdon in uh in moscow I, I believe would be another guy but um yeah i mean i i think the first person that would probably or we're, we're talking to some sort of front runner is probably chris fleming and chris was spot on on his assessment of uh fleming's career uh head coach to the 2014 san san antonio spurs summer league team uh the german national basketball team as well as the german basketball federation uh served as an assistant for the nuggets and the nets before coaching in the european championships and then uh, opted to solely focus on the Brooklyn Nets. Ali, let's go over to you. Should Langdon become the general manager, who do you perceive as the next head coaching uh, target? Well, I kind of like this David Vanderpool guy that uh, the assistant over in uh, on the uh, trailer Bla- or yeah, Trailblazers bench. And um, I don't know much about him, but I started looking in on him once Kevin and Chris uh, wrote about him. And this guy seems to be like a really good guy that's been all over the world and i think the key is of course he has familiarity with trajan langdon and vice versa you just have to think that anybody that's coming in a job like this is going to surround himself with people he knows and trusts so that's kind of what i've been basically limiting myself to among uh, the coaching candidates well i would love anybody from the spurs tree and i know it didn't really work out for pelicans in the past i mean if you want to call monty from that tree and definitely del demps but i think it's still a good tree nonetheless i mean you look around the league um, all the success like Budenholzer has been enjoying not only Atlanta but now especially with the Milwaukee Bucks Kenny Atkinson the splendid job he's done with the uh, Brooklyn Nets so you kind of want to just stay on that path uh, even though David Vanderpool's not from there but again he seems like a guy that kind of follows in that trend that, that, that path where he's been all over the world he's got a lot of supporters he's done a lot of different things uh, and I think that's what it is it's not just coaching basketball in the NBA it's, it's your ability to communicate with players from um, all sorts of backgrounds. And you got to be able to basically get those guys focused and set on one goal. 
uh, getting these X and O's coaches. I mean, that that's the thing of the past, especially for the NBA. So this guy seems like a good candidate that I think the Pelicans should really dig the, uh, dig around. All right, Grub, you're the last one. Who would you like to see the Pelicans hire this offseason as an incoming head coach candidate? I think, A, I like um, David Vanderpool as Ali um, just discussed. I, I really like his, his his balance of experiences, and, and I think there's some some very interesting qualities there that I think could be successful. And then second, I, I really like Becky Hammond. Um, you know, I, I know people use that name because it's hot, and people think, well, she's getting attention because she's a woman. But generally, I mean, what hasn't she done as an assistant now? She moved to the front lines this season. San Antonio has still maintained an, an, an um, unusually high level of success considering their roster. Uh, she's coached in the summer league and won championships there. So clearly the issue of gender and dealing with players has been conquered by her. And um, more than anything, going back to her days playing in the WNBA and, and, and overseas, She's been a leader. That's that's been her thing. She is, has was never the greatest um, as far as on court skills, but she always led teams and she took them deep into the playoffs. She's a winner, uh, um, and I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And then I think having a coach that understands organizational structure, that understands here's where I am, here's where the general manager is, here's how decisions get made, and the, the Spurs have had a concrete structure in place for 20 years now. So to be a part of that and see how organizations are run well and be on a bench and see the diversity that the Spurs have had in their bench in, in terms of voices and styles and to still be able to, to meld all of that and work with international players, take what they've done and add that to their game, you know, that's something that the Pelicans have not done well is go out and scout and deal with international players and bring them in. Um, so I think that that's, that brings an added bonus too. So I think Becky Hammond is an exceptional candidate and I think that if you want somebody who's not a retread, who has experience and could so again, somebody who could energize the fan base very quickly, somebody who I think would be great in the community, somebody who I think, uh, you know, uh, could, could be with this team for a good number of years. And I, I think that's what they're trying to find. And she's as good a candidate, I think, as any they're going to look at. All right. Next up, we're going to talk about uh, free agents that the Pelicans will have to consider re-signing this season. Uh, this offseason, Czech Diallo, Stanley Johnson are both restricted. Then, of course, you've got Darius Miller, Alfred Payton, and potentially uh, Julius Randle. We all anticipate he's going to pass on his $9 million player option. But before we get to that, Chris, uh, since your article was so good with uh, the flavor of New Orleans, New Orleans has has an interesting dilemma on their hands. Their last home game, I want to say, is April 9th. They're hosting DeMarcus Cousins and the Golden State Warriors, and it's possibly New Orleans' last opportunity to show off Anthony Davis to the New Orleans faithful before he's likely shipped off to Boston or New York or God knows where. How do you think the Pelicans organization handles this? Um, I, I wish I could put a, a finger on it, man. I, I, I think that... With it, with it finally being over, you know, or at least we we assume that to be the case, I think that you will see some some sort of you know announcement. It'll be brief at the beginning, at the well, before the game starts, and then they'll get you know they'll get it over with. Um, I can't I can't foresee anything anything more than that. I mean, I think I think you guys would you know would know would know more than me possibly what what these guys might be thinking. Uh, but I, I mean, given, given what they've done so far 
and some of the some of the petty things that we've laughed about, whether they've been on purpose or by accident. Uh, I I just I can't foresee it being being anything longer than just a, than just a quick announcement, or well, I, I, I won't even say announcement, or just a, you know a quick a quick notice in regards to it being you know his his final home game. Uh, you know you'll get that mix of cheers and boos, um, and then I think they'll be done with it. I I, I really believe that they have uh, this team has has made it made a, an effort to show that they are moving on uh, from everything that is that has went down and. Uh, I, I don't think his final. I think his final game will come and go, uh, like this. You know, the second part of the uh, or after post All Star break session is like. I All think right. Chris. Is, I, I just want to say real quick. We we asked Alvin about that today. Is there any chance that AD is going to play again, and especially in that final game? And coach didn't want to differentiate one game from another, so there's obviously no meaning here for it being the last game. Um, and then he went back to talking about how. Back spasms are a tricky, funny thing, you know, and AD's not going to play until uh, he feels great again. So I don't believe we're going to see him again. All right, Grub, what about you? Well, if he's not playing, then that's, I think that's the best outcome for everybody. Um, and if he's not playing, I honestly would, if I'm the Pelicans, I ask him not to be there. Because you just Ooh. don't want that. Because wow. uh, to me, it's like, it's his last game. Why does, if he's not playing, why with DeMarcus in town, with AD out there, like, what's the point? I think that there's a, a, a resignation in some parts. Like you said, the, I mean, the, the fans, we've seen the last couple games, the crowds have started to diminish more than we maybe we thought they would. And the Golden State game tends to be half Golden State fans. So, I mean, I think it's just a, it's a weird atmosphere. And I'd be fine if you just say, hey, he's hurt. He can't be here. We told him to stay home. Because what's he going to do? He's not going to do the postseason press conference the next day. He's not going to show up. So, you know, why, why drag well, he's out? To, David, he's supposed to show up, actually. He, I, we've been told that, you know, it's penciled in. He's going to be there. He's penciled in? You yeah, he's supposed he's, to be there next day, last day. you believe he'll show up? Well, I, I'm not betting man, but. Because, <laughs> I mean, even if he does, what are you going to get out of him now? Because there are no more questions to ask him. There's nothing no, but, no, but the thing is, you've already rode him this far, right? You've already kind of played this game. Why not extend it through the rest of the season? Otherwise, it really does look petty. You tell him to sit for the last game of the season. I don't think that's a good look for the organization. I'm saying if he's not healthy. If he's not healthy, if he's not going to play because of his back, then what's having him on the bench going to accomplish? Same thing that it's done in the previous games. He's just been there, you know? The guys kind of still like him on the team as far as I know. Some of them really are close to him. So, I don't don't know. I, 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 I usually agree with you, but this time I think I disagree with you. That's cool. (laughs) all right you guys we're gonna move on to free agents and then we'll get to the draft uh i'm gonna give each of you guys one name each i'll start with chris connor what are you offering alfred payton this offseason um i i don't think that i would really offer him any more than say five six million dollars a year and that might be pushing it in all in all honesty i don't know 100 percent what his role is going to be going forward um, and I mean, one way, one way or another, they're going to need another, another point guard. Um, you know, if, if you like, let's say, for example, let's say they bring in, and this is just, just throwing a name out there, but let's say like one of the guys that we ended up looking at the head coaching, uh, can, uh, candidates, let's say they bring in a guy like Sam Patel, you know, who is, who has been, uh, talked about for a while, was a, was a really good, a really good point guard in the, in the league for 14 years. 
um, and has been has been known to do wonders with every every almost every guard, whether on or off the ball, that he's been able to touch throughout his throughout his time coaching. So, um, you know, at that point, do you is you know can you bring do you bring back Peyton on a on a short term deal just to you know bridge the gap for for the next guy? But I mean, I think. I think they're gonna they're gonna end up drafting someone, and if, and if they and if they end up do drafting uh, a point guard, if that's the case, then I mean, do you want Alfred as your as your backup? I think he's the guy that needs at least twenty minutes a game, you know, to twenty five, twenty six minutes a game to really uh, feel comfortable out there on the floor. Um, so I mean, I I wouldn't I wouldn't offer him offer him much. I think he still has a lot to prove as a player. Um, you know, he what improved to what thirty two percent this year or well as of today in regards to his three point shooting. Can he get that up further? Can he show uh like those possessions that, that we saw him uh against James Harden defensively? I mean James still somehow somehow scored. But um can he can he show that consistently? Um, you know, is is what we saw pre all-star break when he was playing roughly, you know, under 30 minutes a game and was and was a plus eight on the floor. You know, is that was that just, uh, you know, was that was that by accident, or is that something that he can that he can maintain under under good structure and uh, a healthy roster? I mean, so, I mean, Upper Payton's still a question mark, but I do think he's going to be relatively cheap, and he he does have some pluses in his game. If he can continue continue to improve, I wouldn't mind bringing him back on a you know a, maybe like a two-year deal. Um, you know, four or five million a year, and you know, see where you go from there. Ali, Czech Diallo has a 1.9 million qualifying offer. Uh, he's a restricted free agent. You'd have to think that somebody is going to offer him some money. After all, as I mentioned previously, in 11 games in March, 11 points, seven rebounds on 74% shooting from the field. Even if somebody offers him as little as, you know, two years, eight million, how high are you going uh, in terms of being willing to match? Before Christian Wood showed up in town, I, I was talking with David, others uh, before games that I would like to see Shaq Diallo come back. But since Christian Woods arrived, that's all changed. I don't see a place for Shaq at all. I mean, you're going to have more than likely Jaleel Okafor and uh, Christian Wood on the Pelicans bench next year. Uh, so where does that leave Diallo? Uh, pretty much nowhere. So sorry. I mean, we're going to make this one quick. I don't see any reason for the Pelicans to resign him. Um, and I think his career here is going to be done in, in the next, uh, what, little over a week now. All right. I, I personally would be willing to give him, uh, let's say, one year, three or four million dollars. The Pelicans should have plenty of cap space this year unless they take back matching salary in the Anthony Davis deal and even include Solomon Hill into it. Then they could get really close, especially should they bring back Julius Randle. And that brings us to the next name on this list, David. What are you offering Julius Randle? <laughs> you should ask me this. <laughs> no, I wanted to ask Grub. Okay. Have been he going. called him. A, he called him a legitimate starter just twenty well, minutes ago. I called ago. him a starter on this roster. You said now, legitimate. Yeah, he's uh, he, he can no. start. He he's he's shown he can start. I mean, there are a lot of guys in the NBA who are starters, and I think he, he has shown that he can start. But I would not, if I had my druthers, I would not have him as my starter. Um, at nine million, if he were my sixth man. Okay, but if we're talking about 15 to 18 million for him, when all he brings to the table essentially is scoring, he doesn't defend. Again, we've talked about that. He's a poor defender and not just in ability, but in awareness. 
He doesn't protect the rim. His rebounding numbers have fallen off tremendously over the last three months. His rate for rebounding has fallen off even more. And I just don't see his, his style of play requires a very certain um, uh, way of the offense. And I think it changes how the offense works. He becomes a vacuum when he is the primary player. We've seen that. The ball goes into him. He's not particularly adept at passing out of double teams. We've seen that sometimes he puts his head down and just becomes unaware of where the other guys are around him. He can move too quickly with the basketball and that leads to turnovers. So I think there's so there's still so many flaws in Julius's game that I would not invest big money in him. If he were willing to take a one-year deal at some higher money maybe and just to give it another experiment, say, hey, we'll give you 12 to 14 to forever for one year um, and, and or a one-year with an option year, uh, then I'd like to see that uh, because then you, you maintain some of your talent. Uh, but at the same time, I think a lot of this is, is dependent on what happens with that trade and what happens mm-hmm. with the lottery. Because if those things get settled on draft night, which again mm-hmm. is about two weeks before free agency begins, it, depending on what you bring back, those are going to answer some of the questions with guys like Alfred and Julius Randle. Because those you may be bringing in replacements for those players. And again, like, like uh, Chris said, if there's a position in the draft or if there's a young um, free agent point guard who comes in at less than five million who can still give you what Alfred gave you which to me is not that hard to replace then I'm not in a rush to re-sign those two guys I'm willing to let the see what the market bears and see if I need to make a push to bring them back but I'm not in a rush to re-sign any of them I'm not calling them at midnight on July 1st Chris, if Dallas offers Julius Randle three years, $36 million, and he calls up the Pelicans front office and he says, you know what? I really like it in New Orleans. I like the culture. I like the food. If you guys match this, I'll stay in New Orleans. Do you do it? Well, I have I have Sprint uh, phone service, and my phone calls drop a lot. Um, I, 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 would, I would say that would be one of the cases in which my phone calls drop because I, I, I don't think that – I mean, it's not like – like, listen, I mean, I'm – I'm big on on Julius from this perspective, right? I mean, when he came here, he was supposed to. I mean, he he said all the right things. Um, he's a guy that you know seems to he seems to be just fine in the in the locker room with the with the group of guys. He's young. He's still he's he's still going to get better. But like but like Grub said, I mean, he really only offers you you know one thing on one side of the floor, and even that can be somewhat of a headache. I mean, we're talking about a guy, I mean, since, you know, in the past two weeks, he's had 21 turnovers by himself, you know. So, I, you know, I'm not – I don't know if I can even pay – if I can pay that much for a guy that um, – I mean, what type of what type of self-awareness does does Julius have? You know what I'm saying? I mean, what what type of work is he going to – is he going to put in any in the offseason, you know, from not, not only from a physical perspective but from a, a mental perspective? Uh, Grub mentioned that his rebounding has dropped over the past few months. But I mean, I mean, this guy's averaging seven seven rebounds a game. I mean, from uh, between February and March. I mean, that's I mean, that's not what I thought I was getting. So, you know, when you when you factor that in, you know, with the fact that he can't, you know, he can't really defend anything. He can't he can't protect he can't protect the rim. Uh, you know, he's kind of he's kind of small for his for his size, even though you know he's kind of bulky. I mean, for his position, I should say. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not, he's not much of a threat, you know, from, from deep, even though he's gotten a little bit better. Um, yeah, I can't, I, I, I could not sit well matching that contract. I let him go to Dallas and play with Luca and, 
if Chris Sampson is going to be on the floor, <laughs> that situation is working out. <laughs> yeah, right. here, here's the thing real quick, because it, it, it's going to happen. Nikola Miritich is going to be out there. And who would you rather have for kind of the same money is what I keep asking people. And uh, we, we, you guys know how I felt about Miritich before even the, the year started before the Pelicans signed Randall. But, yeah, I think if it comes down to 12, 13, 14, 15 million, whatever the ballpark is, I think you look elsewhere and you look at Miritich first. I, I would agree with that sentiment. I like Nikola Miritich as a player better. However, he hasn't played more than, uh, I think I'm doing this correctly, 70 games, or he played 70 games last in 2016-17. Since that point in time, he's missed at least 25 games each season. And the only game uh, season he played more than 70 games was his rookie season in 2014-15. So availability is a concern on my end. But with that being said, yes, I do value him higher as a player when he is healthy. Uh, Grub, let's go Preston, ahead and... Preston, real quick. No, I want to ask you real quick. So let's that that's great. I think we need to talk about that because a lot of fans would probably want Miritich back. And you bring up a great point, his injury history. So who would you go for if, say, the Pelicans do not land Zion in the uh, draft and they don't get a legitimate power forward back in the Anthony Davis deal? You look at Paul Millsap, Thaddeus Young, do you go like Marcus Morris? I mean, who would you look at then? Well, it depends. If the Pelicans are bringing back young players uh, in a deal and they're not intent on contending immediately, then I would honestly opt uh, for Julius Randle just because he's younger and there is the possibility of him reaching a higher ceiling than going for a player like Paul Millsap, who I think is 33 years of age at this point and doesn't really give you uh, much long term towards a future unless you are trying to immediately contend. Let's say you bring back some like all star level prospects uh, next to Drew Holiday and you decide to go all in now. But I, I tend to think I wouldn't go that route. I would like a collection of young players and uh, draft capital. And then that way, as you go through the season, if a deal does become available, you can unload some of that draft capital and get some players back. If some team does need to dump some all-star or something, then all of a sudden you do have a a youngish to their prime 28 to 30 year old group of guys alongside Drew Holiday that can help you contend now. And Nikola Miritich definitely fits that bill. He's significantly younger than Paul Millsap. I guess it just matters what the dollar figure is on Nikola Miritich because if I do sign Nikola Miritich, I'm doing it under the pretense that I'm only getting 50 to 60 regular season games out of him. And I need some additional resources to put behind him like a Christian Wood, which makes Christian Wood uh, very advantageous. If you think he can give you starter level minutes uh, throughout the course of a regular season, then all of a sudden taking somebody like Nikola Meritich makes a lot of sense as long as you think that you can provide him good health by the time the playoffs come around. Uh, but at this point in time, I'm looking at somebody like Brandon Clark. If the Pelicans do end up, you know, around the back top 10 of the draft, that's a guy who could kind of slide into that Julius Randle spot and give you a lot of the same things that he does while also building with your franchise. And you just hope to develop him into a better version of that player. Also Jackson Hayes, I think gives you a more athletic version of check Diallo, somebody who could also take the place of a Julius Randle. But uh, it, it, it makes me nervous to bring back Julius Randle. But if you're just building towards the future and you want to give him, let's say like two years, $25 million, I'd be comfortable doing that, taking another chance on him, seeing if he can figure it out on the defensive side. He never has to be a great defensive player. If he can give you 25 and 10 every night over the course of 34 minutes, then you only need him to be a so-so defender. Uh, and also you're not planning on competing for the playoffs next year, or, or I don't know, it depends on the capital you get back. But that's just where my line of thinking is at this time, Ollie. Would you be, to me, uh, and I'm just going to be real quick with this, there are two guys that I like. To me, I like, I like Marcus Morris a lot because he's an unrestricted free agent. And if you're playing the space game, he can play inside and he can shoot the three and we know he can defend. And at, he, he makes what five and a half million this year. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to give him a significant raise 
And if this, if you do make the deal with the Celtics, then he's also familiar with a couple of these guys. And so you're basically raiding that team. The other guy is I really like Derek Favors. And if there's a way, and I know he's not unrestricted, but if you could get a Derek Favors, he can play both center and power forward positions. He can, she's developed an outside shot. And he puts up incredible numbers for a guy who only plays 20 to 25 minutes a night. 100%. All right. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to the draft. Uh, I mentioned Brandon Clark and Jackson Hayes as two names that could come up around the, the back of the top 10. Also, Kobe White, some guys who could be available. They are obviously we're all hoping that we land somewhere inside the top four. I think right now our percentage of that is around 26 percent. I think currently we're tied for eighth with the Washington Wizards. However, there are four games left and a lot could change over that course of time. But Ali, just for the sake of argument, let's say that the Pelicans end up at number eight. Who are you eyeballing at that slot? I really like that Rui Hachimura from Gonzaga. I know that you just talked about his teammate, uh, Clark, but for some reason, I like this Hachimura guy in watching just the entire uh, March Madness, all the games that Gonzaga played in. Uh, he seems to be not Chris Middleton, but he's kind of got that, I don't know, kind of subtleness to his game where he's got a lot more like hops ability than you think he has <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing considering uh you want to kind of land an all-star but again he came out of nowhere and averaged like what was it, about 20 points six rebounds a game for the Zags this year and I really like his shot and for a guy with his length his ability to handle the ball I just feel like the Pelicans need to finally you know let's sew up that starting small forward spot for at least the next five six seven eight years if we can and if we don't land um, the, the prize in everybody's eye, Jason Tatum in a trade for Anthony Davis. And I think you have to go for a guy like that. So he would be my pick. All right. What about you, Grub? As far as in the draft, what you can get in the, if we're talking about later in the round. Yeah. Like eight, nine round. or 10. Um, yeah. I, I like um, Hachimura. I'm also a fan of uh, Grant Williams out of Tennessee, um, even though he's kind of short, um, but he is, uh, very solid around the basket. But, I mean, that depends on how late that second, you know, one of those picks is. Um, you know, I, I do like the way he plays. Uh, they're just it's, – it's we know this is not a great draft. So, if you're outside of the top 15, I don't think there are too many prospects that you're going to be considering other than as developmental players. Um, so, I don't really – I mean, a lot of the guys coming out at the power forward and at the small forward positions – are guys who have things that are going to take time to fix. Either they're not great ball handlers, they're not great shooters. So I don't know at the at those positions out of the top two or three in each level if you're going to find a guy who you want to be really excited about first year. Um, so that's again, that's why so, the G League team is so important. But I, I I think Ali's right. I mean, I think that motor that uh, Hajimura has and just his intensity. I mean, mm -hmm. he's a guy who will get in there and do the physical work. And they need that out of their starters because if you do get the perimeter guys in this Anthony Davis trade, the most important thing you're going to have in your front quarter guys who can grind. All right, let's go to Chris. Uh, before I get to that, uh, just prefaced on most mock drafts that I've seen in the past week have some version of Zion Jaw, RJ Barrett, Jarrett Culver, and Cam Reddish going through the top five. That one's pretty universal. Mm -hmm. And after that, a lot of the mock drafts I've seen have seen Rui Hachimura going at number six, either to Atlanta really? or, or should they move down? Um, yeah, so I, I'm anticipating that he's not going to be available, and then the Pelicans are going to have some <laughs> their, the, the chances at Darius Garland, Jackson Hayes, DeAndre Hunter, uh, Kobe White, Brandon Clark, uh, that, bull, that, bull. 
that's the kind of a uh, group that I was going for. Bowl Bowl has like fallen pretty drastically towards yeah. like the end of the lottery to even out of the lottery at this point. So I wasn't even realistically really considering him. Plus, I don't want to take the risk with the Pelicans uh, track record. Um, of injury. So, so Chris, out, out of the guys that I mentioned, or feel free to throw in anybody that you see fit, who are you hoping falls to the Pelicans at eight or nine? Uh, um, man, you know, I was high on uh, Darius Garland for a while, especially when I was on the on the point guard wave. But I mean, my issue, you know, we, you know, the Pelicans have just had so many so many problems already keeping guys healthy, and you know, him coming back as such a young player, and especially at a at at that position at, at a guard coming back from a, a meniscus injury, kind of it kind of scares me. Mm-hmm. Um. Until until I can see, and and if they're if they're top five, I mean I you know again I mean I I'm, I'm doing whatever I have to do to get a to get a point guard unless you're at one of course and Zion's one like you got, uh but um until I see them actually bring in a wing I'm I'm going I'm looking for one, I think a guy like I'm interested in a guy like um like a DeAndre Hunter mainly. Mainly because uh, you know, while you know, is, is he a small forward? Is he a power forward? I know that the the guy can defend multiple positions. Being at being at Virginia, I don't know a hundred percent what he's going to bring in, in reference to um, being a knockdown shooter just yet. But I think I think he's a safe pick at that at that position. Uh, mainly just mainly because I when you when you look at him, he, he he's going to give you some sort of. Uh, uh, flexibility in regards to how you how you play him. He can you know he can play smaller in smaller lineups. If you want to go if you want to go big and run him at the three, he's he's capable of doing it. I think he'd be perfect for uh, the tutelage of somebody like Kenrich Williams who wants to be that that all around high IQ basketball player. Um, I that that would be what I'm looking at. I know of, I've seen um, uh, well my man uh, Nas Lou from uh, North Carolina. Uh, kind of looked at well, if the Pelicans are at or at that eight nine spot, I've been seeing his name being pointed around. Uh, but DeAndre Hunter is is definitely the guy I would like. And I mean, the guy from from Gonzaga. I mean, anytime you can get a dude that uh, that that talented but has that amount of motor, you know, I mean, it's rare. It's really really rare to get a guy with that with that combination. I mean, you would hope that that could turn into something where you know. Um, the potential really meets where it's supposed to, because I mean he he definitely appears to where he's, he's going to put in the work. So, um, but yeah, DeAndre Hunter will be my guy. Hey, um, Preston, real we quick, gotta... uh, I'm just sorry on that point guard issue. Carson Edwards, I just want to throw that name in there. You can replace Etwan with Carson Edwards and get a new Purdue guy. Definitely. Um, and I love DeAndre Hunter, especially if the Pelicans get back Marcus Smart in a deal and pair him alongside Drew Holiday. Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday, and DeAndre Hunter would be downright scary. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is publicized as a great defender and a great two-way player. He can also play above the rim, and he's got a nice three-point shot. I think you pair those three on the floor, and you've really got the makings of something dangerous on that end. Let's go ahead and wrap up. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, As you well know, if you like us and you can retweet this, share it, like it on iTunes, all that good stuff, we would greatly appreciate a few moments of your time. Uh, Before we get out of here, Ali, tell our listeners a bit about what you've got going on this week. (sighs) One, two, three, Iceland. I mean, I can't wait for the season to be over. I want to get through these uh, exit interviews and all that because everybody's ready for the season to be over, ready to move on next chapter. 
that's really all I'm waiting for in anticipation. Because normally we do analysis, we do all sorts of articles looking back on the season, but there's really nothing you want to reflect on other than any of the new guys that are moving forward. All right, Greb, what about you, man? Um, well, besides trying to, to get this radio thing together, um, I'm also working on trying to get an end-of-season interview with Alvin Gentry. Um, there are a lot of things that I've wanted to talk to him about, and he's open to it, so he just wanted to wait till the end of the season. Um, so I'm really looking forward to trying to, to sit down with him. I know, Ali, it's something that we both have wanted to do, and hopefully we can do it together because there's just a wide range of topics that I would just love to, to discuss with him. I think there's a story that has not been told um, about Alvin, even though I wrote something about him earlier this season. I think there's a lot of things that he's wanted to say. It's just that he's not the kind of guy to, to, to be a distraction during the season um, by making any kind of comments. But I do think there are things that he'd like to not get off his chest, but just talk about during these four years um, that he spent here in New Orleans. All right, Chris, round us out. Um, me and Kevin are going to finish this, this long-ass index rating, uh, <laughs> rankings uh, system that we're putting together uh, with the players. I'm assuming maybe by the, the end of the week we'll uh, kind of put the start to move on that and hopefully by Sunday or the first of next week you know, we'll, have it, we'll have it up. And I think after that, you know, we'll move to the to some of the draft prospects. But it's been a good time, so we'll try to keep it going. And maybe more movie stars or movie uh, uh, people can can uh, show us love, as long as they don't die at the end of the movie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys, thanks for sticking here with us. Of course, you can find Chris at Impatient Bull, Ali at Ali Cosell, David at DM Grub. You can follow me at Preston Ellis and follow our site at The Bird Rights. Thank you so much for your time. If you guys want more content, be sure to DM me or drop something under this pod, just a list of questions. And the next time we do this, we'll be sure to throw your name out on the pod. It'll probably be sometime around April 15th, 16th, right after the season gets let go. And hopefully by that time, we'll have a new general manager and president of basketball operations. So until then, you guys, let's go, pal. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe to today's show was brought to you by sap who am i and how am i feeling i'm clive owen and i'm feeling great thanks how about you you feeling happy a little angry people have so many feelings millions of them but what if businesses could really understand all of those feelings and then act on them to make their customers feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management, and it's here. Because the future of business has feelings, and I've got a feeling we're all going to like it. Go to sap.com xm to learn more. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to GEICO. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.